Well, if you would this morning, grab a Bible and open your Bible up to Psalm 7. We're nearing the end of our series on the attributes of God. We've been working through these for a few months now, and we just have a few words left. And we'll encounter a good word in Psalm 7 this morning. So Psalm chapter 7, we'll read the whole psalm, hear the word of our God. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so glad that we can come and we can sit underneath your word. Your word is life. Your word restores our bones and gives health to our flesh. And so we pray, O oh Lord, would you work in the midst of your word this morning as we read it, as we meditate on it, as we listen to it and try to understand it. Oh, Father, would you change the desires of our hearts this morning, and would we, as a result of Psalm 7, love your righteousness, that we would yearn for it and hope in it. Oh, Lord, we pray this in our Lord's name. Well, God has granted to us all instincts. He has hardwired into our, our beings, into our humanity, these natural reactions. For example, when you trip over your feet, what do you do? You naturally, without a thought, without a plan, you just stretch out your hands in front of you so your face doesn't smash into the ground. Or another example, you realize in a moment something is flying right at your head. And so without a thought or without a plan, you, you close your eyes, you scrunch up your face, and you try to duck your head out of the way so that flying thing doesn't hit you. As we think about it, instincts are good gifts from God. We would be hurting individuals if we did not have 
instincts. We'd be having bruises all over our bodies more than we do. Now, there are both natural instincts and spiritual instincts, and when one is born anew by the Spirit of God, made alive through the resurrection of Jesus, we are given a whole new disposition of life. And it is here I want to point out the spiritual instincts of David in Psalm 7. And I want to do this because David, the instincts that he shows in the midst of this psalm are are noteworthy for us. So take a look at Psalm 7 with me. In Psalm 7, it's clear that David is in distress. The whole song is a response to some situation, a specific one that we really don't have a lot of information about. If you look up at the beginning of the psalm, the superscript says this, a shigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. So we have a little bit of information there, and it's sparse sparse, but it's clear that David here is troubled, deeply so. And so he says in verse 1, as he, as he starts his song, he says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. So there's pursuers. Someone is chasing after David, and presumably one of these pursuers is Cush, and maybe he's joined with a legion of men. And as we keep reading, it becomes clear that these pursuers are pursuing with aggression. Verse 2, David says, Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. So just think about David's situation. If you are comparing your enemy to a lion, you know that you have it pretty bad. If you are thinking in terms of what a lion does to his prey, so taking its teeth and ripping into you or, or using its powerful jaws to, to tear you apart into pieces, you know that your situation is, is dire. So we ask, well, what is going on? David has these enemies. They're pursuing him. They're pursuing like a lion. What are they doing to David? Well, as we keep reading, it, it seems as we glean from the psalm that these enemies are hurling accusations at David. From what we hear, it seems that these men are coming to him and bombarding him with, with lawsuits, we could say. Just listen to David talk about this situation in verses 3 through 5. He says this, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause... Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. And so there's the situation of David. David is in distress. We see it. And men are pursuing him as a lion pursues his prey. And so accusations are being hurled at David. One accusation after another after another. The heat is turned up. The pressure is on David. And so here's the question we have to ask. How does David respond here? What are his instincts in this situation? Before I answer that question, I want to turn it on you and and make it personal for you. What would you do in this sort of situation? You have the bare details of David's situation. What would you do? Maybe you're a fighter, and so somebody's coming, Cush is coming with his host of friends, and he's launching these accusations at you. You're a fighter, so what do you do? You turn around and you launch accusations back at him. You let him have it. Maybe you're not a fighter, maybe you're a runner, and so Cush comes after you with all of these accusations, and what do you do? You turn around and you run. I'm out of here. Not going to deal with this. What does David do? 
Well, David does something different. He doesn't attack. He doesn't run. He goes to the Lord. Look at verse 1. He says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. As we meditate on this, this is commendable. And as God's people, we should learn to do the very same sort of thing. We should learn to go to God in our troubles. But if we're being honest here as we're reading this psalm, this isn't something that is unique. Just flip through your Bibles or just flip through your, your book of Psalms because you will find many men doing the same sort of thing that David does in his trouble. Now stick with me here because this is where we see something unique in David. David doesn't run to a generic God. He doesn't take refuge in some sort of blah oatmeal God. He takes refuge in a very specific attribute of God. Just listen to what David says. Listen to what David talks about as he speaks of this God he's taking refuge in. David pleads with God. He says this in verse 6. Awake for me, you have appointed a judgment. David goes on, verse 8, saying, the Lord judges the people. Verse 9, he says, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. Verse 11, he goes on on this theme saying, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. David David even goes on, and and this seems daring to us. He says, verse 8, judge me. Judge me, O God. What is David doing in the midst of this situation, this distress? Well, David is taking refuge in the righteousness of God. In his trouble, as these men are pursuing him, he is going to the God who is righteous. That's the God that David runs to. So here we see our sentence, our doctrine, our attribute this morning. God is a righteous God. God is righteous. And we have Psalm 7 in front of us. We can broaden up our scope as we think about God's righteousness. As you open up your Bible, as you flip through the pages of your Bible, this is a truth that just smacks you right in between the eyes. God is righteous. God is, according to Abraham in Genesis 18, 25, the judge of all the earth who always does what is right. God is, according to James chapter 4, verse 12, the only lawgiver and judge who both saves and destroys. God is simply righteous. Psalm 119, verse 137 says this about God. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. And if God is righteous, this means that all of God is righteous. And it means that all that God does is righteousness. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says this, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Because he is righteous and does righteousness, he therefore loves all righteousness. It is on his heart. Psalm 11 verse 7 says, he loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. And so righteous is our God. So plainly obvious is this fact that all of creation testifies to his righteousness. Psalm 50 verse 6 says, The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. And so this righteous God who loves righteousness and does righteousness, promises to bring forth righteousness in this unrighteous world. And he promises to bring forth righteousness in this unrighteous world through his very son. Isaiah chapter 11 verses 3 through 5 talks about God's plan for righteousness. 
the perfect Advent text. Isaiah prophesies, speaking of Jesus, saying, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And because of what our righteous God will do in this unrighteous world, bringing forth righteousness through his righteous son, all of God's people someday will lift up their voices and sing, praising God for his righteousness. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 2 say this, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Why? For his judgments are true and just. They are true and just. And because of this, every single person on this earth, both men great and small, men rich and poor, men and women, children too, will have to deal with this truth personally. Paul says as he preaches in Acts chapter 17 verse 31, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God is righteous. That's what the Bible preaches. And as we read our Bibles, the truth just smacks us right in between the eyes again and again and again. God is righteous. And as God's people, we should learn to love his righteousness. But here we need to dig deep because we've been using the word righteousness, but we haven't defined what righteousness means. So what does it mean for God to be the righteous God. Well, for a definition, I want to go back to Psalm chapter 7 and do some work in that psalm because I think this psalm gives us a few clues that points out to us what it means for God to be righteous. And so I want to show you three clues from Psalm chapter 7 that will help us understand who our God is. So the first clue is this, as we try to understand God's righteousness, there is a standard There is a standard. So as we go back to Psalm chapter 7, Psalm 7 only makes sense if there is a standard to appeal to. So as we think about the situation that David is in, David's enemies are appealing to a standard, and they are saying in the midst of this psalm that David's life has deviated from this standard. So what are they doing? Well, look at verses 3 through 5. They accuse that there is wrong in David's hands. They accuse that David has done evil to his neighbors. They accuse that David has turned around and without cause waged war, plundering those about him. That he's a man of treachery and violence. And in response to all of these accusations that are hurled at David, what does David do? Well, he goes and he appeals to the standard. He goes to the standard and what does he do? He measures himself against the standard. And how does he do this? Well, he does it in verse 8. He claims that he is both a righteous man and a man of integrity. And what is he saying? Well, in simple words, he's saying, my life fits with the standard. My life conforms to the standard. Now, all of this begs a question as we hear this talk about a standard. David is appealing to it. David's enemies are appealing to it. We ask, well, what is this standard that everyone is appealing to? And here we have to be clear that the standard is not feelings. 
well, I, I feel that this is right, I feel that this is wrong. Nor is this standard consensus opinion. Everyone thinks this is right, and so that must be right, and I will do that because everyone thinks that. No, as we go to Psalm 7, the standard has to be the law of God. It's the rules that God has revealed in Holy Scripture. And because these are the laws of God and not the laws of reason or feelings or consensus, we can therefore reason that these laws are not random or haphazard or ad hoc. We can reason that these laws and rules found in Scripture are a reflection of who our God is and what He is like. As we do this reasoning, we have all of these characters in Psalm 7 appealing to the standard. And if the standard comes from God... What is happening here? Well, all of these characters in Psalm 7, David and his enemies, are appealing ultimately at the end of the day to the character of God himself. The character of God is the ultimate standard. So here is our first clue as we think about God's righteousness. There is a standard, and that standard is the character of God revealed in the law of God. And as we think about this clue, this is a practical help for us. So as you're doing your daily Bible reading and as you work through your Bible in a year, you're going to work through a lot of laws in your Bible reading. For example, you're going to work through the Ten Commandments a couple of times. What's happening when you're reading the Ten Commandments? Well, you're seeing what our God is like. When you open up God's rules, you're getting a concrete definition of His righteousness. That's what you're seeing. So that's our first clue. And we can move on because there's a second clue. And so as we try to understand God's righteousness, we have to understand that there is a judge. And this makes sense. If there is a law, then there must be also a judge. And who this judge is in Psalm 7 is no secret. David says in verse 8, the Lord judges the peoples. That's clear. Now the question we have to ask is this. Well, what sort of judge is the Lord? Is he the sort of judge who winks at the guilty if they pay him off? Is he the sort of judge who loves to do favors to his friends and those who have means because then they can pay him back with something else? Is the Lord the sort of judge who likes to put his finger on the scale and and tip it in a certain direction that favors himself? Or is he the sort of judge, and we're well acquainted with this, that is just plain incompetent? Whatever he does, he just bungles justice. Well, David tells us what sort of judge the Lord is. Verse 11, he says, God is a righteous judge. What sort of judge is he? He is righteous. And what does that mean? It means that he isn't a respecter of persons. It means that his, his judgments are perfectly consistent and they never err. This means that God will always do what is right. And he will do what is right without fail. And he will do this. Why? Because he himself is righteousness. But as we keep thinking about this judge who is the Lord, there's more to consider. I remember when podcasts first became a thing, that was probably about a decade ago, and when podcasts first became really popular, there was all of these shows about mistrials of justice. And so the podcast would chronicle how this person was mistried. And as you listen to these shows, it always had something to do with the evidence. Something wasn't known about what had happened, or something was misconstrued, or maybe even worse, something was suppressed. And so the wrong man or the wrong woman was was jailed and convicted. 
But here's the thing about the Lord who is judge. This sort of thing can never happen with the Lord. He knows all facts and nothing is hidden from him. Not even the smallest detail goes unnoticed by the Lord. Even more importantly, as we see in this psalm, he knows all motives. No judge, human judge, can perfectly discern someone's motives. But but the Lord, he does. He knows why we do what we do. Listen to what David says as he talks about the Lord's understanding of our internal reasoning of our hearts. He says, verse 9, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. What a judge our Lord is. He not only sees everything, but he can look into our hearts and understand why we do what we do. And so there is our second clue. God is a righteous judge who is able with perfect accuracy and consistency to determine what is right and what is wrong. So we can move on to a third clue. And so what do judges do? Well, judges give judgments. That's our third clue. There's a judgment. And so this judge, the Lord, doesn't just deal with words. This judge deals with reality. And David's hope in Psalm 7 is that the Lord will actually do something for him. To be more precise, David's desire is that God will put on display his righteousness and bring to bear a judgment upon his situation. That's what David wants. David wants the Lord to act according to his righteousness and show forth his righteousness and bring a judgment to him. And so we ask, well, what does that look like for the Lord to bring a judgment Well, as we look at Psalm 7, the judgments of the Lord go in two different directions. For the righteous man, for the upright man, the judgment of the Lord will mean something for him. But for the man who is unrighteous, the man who is evil, the judgment, the same judgment of the Lord will mean something altogether different. So let's look first at the righteous man. That's David in this psalm. And so David pleads, verse 8, he says, Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. So so David is pleading, bring a judgment to me. I need this. And when David prays that, what does he want? What is he expecting to see? Was he expecting that this will be good for him? He expects a a vindication. He expects that the Lord will, in verse 9, establish him in the midst of his enemies. He expects to pass through judgment and pass through judgment in a very specific sort of way that his head would be lifted high. David says in verse 17, I will give thanks to the Lord. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness and I will praise and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the most high. What does he ultimately expect when when the Lord passes judgment? He expects salvation. Look at verse one. He says, save me from all my pursuers. So that is what a judgment looks like for the righteous man. But then there's the unrighteous man. And what should the unrighteous man expect? Well, judgment will be passed on him. Verse 9, David says, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And David uses some colorful expressions so that we might understand what it means for God to do this to the wicked. He says in verses 12 and 13, If a man does not repent... God will wet his sword, he has bent and readied his bow, he has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. For the wicked, the judge becomes a warrior who inflicts judgment on the wicked. 
And so here's our third clue. God will act in accordance to his righteousness. And when he does that, he's going to give every man according to his due. He will give salvation to the righteous. And to the man who is unrighteous, he will only give calamity and destruction. So we have these three clues, and now we need to pick them all up together and try to piece them together and see something coherent. And so we have a standard, we have a judge, and we have a judgment. And so what sort of definition can we get of God's righteousness? Well, one theologian, Sinclair Ferguson, defines God's righteousness like this. He says, God's righteousness is his complete consistency with himself in the glory of his perfect being. He goes on and he says, righteousness is his absolute integrity of his own character. And as we think about that, that's what we see in Psalm chapter 7. We see the absolute integrity of God's character on display. We see it in God's, God's standards. We see it as God takes up his, his rule as a judge and is deciding what is wrong and what is right. We see it as he passes his judgments and brings them to bear upon man. We see the absolute integrity of God's character. Even more, we see the complete consistency of the Lord's. What Psalm 7 does, it just opens up to our eyes the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. God is righteous. So now we have Psalm 7 in front of us. We have a definition of God's righteousness in front of us. We've got three clues. We've got a standard, a judge, and judgments in front of us. And we need to ask, well, what does any of this mean for us? God is righteous. Now what do I do in response to that? Well, I want to keep thinking about David, and I want to keep thinking about Psalm 7. So let's just remind ourselves of the setup for Psalm 7. Here is David, and the pressure is on. The heat is turned up. Men are pursuing him as a lion pursues his prey. Accusations are flying at him. Lawyers are surrounding him. And so what does David do? Well, David goes to the righteous God. Better yet said, he, he takes refuge in God's righteousness. What is David doing in this psalm? He is grabbing hold of God's righteousness, and he won't let go of God's righteousness. In his trouble and sorrow, what is David doing? He is clinging to the righteousness of God because the righteousness of God is his balm and his salvation, his only hope here. Now, as we think about David in Psalm 7, how does that strike you? Let me put it like this, asking you some questions. When you are in trouble, when you are downcast, when you are being pursued and accused, when the heat is turned up in your life, do you do the same thing that David does in Psalm 7? Is God's righteousness the thing that you cling to and don't let go of? Is God's righteousness your balm and your salvation? And as you think about that, my hunch is all of this strikes you as a bit odd. Just thinking about the clues that we've been given in Psalm 7, there, there's a standard, God's, God's righteous character revealed in his holy law. There is a judge, this God who, who judges all men. And then there are the judgments that the Lord brings to bear upon the earth. And as you think about those three clues, those words, my hunches, don't fill you with cheer and hope and gladness. And so we have to ask here, as we look at Psalm 7, how does David find God's righteousness a comfort 
a refuge and a hope. Why does David go here? Why do his instincts lead him right to the righteousness of God? Because that's not how we often work. So here's the answer. It's a very simple answer. David was righteous. David was righteous. The whole of Psalm 7, I think, turns on verse 8. I've read it a few times, but I'll read it again. David says this, Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Why does David find God's righteousness sweet? I think the answer is this, because he is righteous. Why is God's righteousness a refuge for David? When the pressure is turned up, why is he running there? Because he himself is a righteous man. You, you see, a, a righteous man loves a righteous God. Or to put it another way, righteous eyes see beauty in a righteous God. And, and righteous ears hear of, of salvation in a righteous God. And here's the point for us. We will only take refuge in God's righteousness if we ourselves righteous. For if we are not righteous, God's righteousness will appear to us as what? It will appear to us something terrible. We will look at these clues, a standard, a, a, a law, a, a, a judge, judgments, and we will want to run away from all of these things. We want to flee all of these things. We want to get away from these things as fast as we possibly can. We will only take refuge in God's righteousness if we ourselves are righteous. And David works this out for us. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 26 and 27, David sings this to Israel. He says, With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you deal purely. And with the crooked you make yourself torturous. Righteous man loves the righteousness of God. The unrighteous man flees the righteousness of God. Now, if you're tracking with me, there's probably all sorts of questions popping up in your heads. And the big question that you should be asking is this. Well, what does it mean to be righteous? Or, or to go right into the text of Psalm 7, to go right at verse 8. How can David say these words? How can he say, judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me? How can David say these words? Because it seems that the whole psalm turns on those words. Well, let me say very plainly, David's righteousness, that is his right relationship with God, was not the result of his many good deeds and works. It's not that David did a lot of good things for God and that made him righteous and made him love God's righteousness. That isn't what David means and that isn't what righteousness means in the scriptures. Because we can be perfectly honest about David. We know his life. He did some pretty terrible things in his life. You remember Bathsheba and that whole incident, all of the sin there and how it produced murder, the murder of Uriah. And then there are many other sins as the fallout of that, a whole mess and web of sin. All of that is significant, but here's the point. David was a righteous man. And so we ask, well, how in the world does that work? How can David come to us in Psalm 7 and say, I'm righteous, and I love God's righteousness, and these clues, they are balm to my soul. Well, Sinclair Ferguson writes on Psalm 7, and he says this, the righteous person is the one who is rightly related to God through covenant, 
A covenant that implies judgment on the unfaithful but gracious and merciful provisions for sinners who trust in God's promises. Since all are sinners, the righteous man is not someone who is morally impeccable, but someone, because of God's grace, has a right standing with God. So that might be flying high over your head, and I want to bring that down a level or two. And so we're saying David was righteous. How could he be righteous? Well, through the provisions of the covenant, God's grace in the covenant. And, and just work that through with me. How did this practically work for David? Practically, how was David righteous? Well, David did a lot of wrong in his life. And what did he do with his wrong? Well, he took it to the Lord. You remember Psalm 51, verse 1. David comes to the Lord and he says, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. When David defiled himself in sin, staining his character and his reputation, what did he do? Staying with Psalm 51, verse 2, David says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. When David's sin was discovered and made known, when he was rebuked for it, what did he do? Well, he, he confessed it and he brought it to the Lord. He said in verse 4 of Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When he wandered far from God's standard, God's law, and made his own way, when his ways were crooked, what did he do? Well, God's call came to him and he heeded God's call and he turned back. Psalm 51, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a, a willing spirit. Psalm 51, verse 18, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So how was David righteous? How could he say what he said in verse 8? Well, he was righteous through the grace of the covenant. We see it displayed in Psalm 51. And as we look at our whole Bibles and try to understand verse 8, we can say he was righteous in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How could David say what he did? He could say what he did because of Jesus. And this is where the rubber meets the road for you. If you want to be as David, if you want to take refuge in the righteousness of God, if you want your bond to be the judge of all of the earth, if you want his judgments pronounced over you in favor of you, hear this. This is what you must do. You must be found in right relationship with him. How are you to be found in right relationship with him? You must make use of the grace of the covenant. And how do you do that? You must be found in Jesus himself. And this is the gospel truth, and it is a glorious truth. All of those who trust and believe in Jesus, those who bring their sins to Jesus and come to Jesus for cleansing and renewal and forgiveness are righteous in him. And it is here, and only here in Jesus, being cleansed and forgiven, being justified in him, that we learn to see God's righteousness as our delight and our joy, our refuge, our steady hope. In fact, something happens in Jesus. We can begin to speak like David did in Jesus. We can go, and in our trials and in our circumstances, we can say with David, lifting up our voices to God, verse 8, the Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. And that's what the gospel affords God's people. It affords us a heart that loves God's righteousness, our balm, our salvation. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this psalm. 
We thank you for the words of David and how they teach us about your righteousness and how to apply your righteousness to ourselves. And so we want to this morning make use of the grace of the covenant. We want to make use of Jesus. You are a perfect judge and you know our hearts. And so what we do, as we do every day, is we bring our sins to you in Jesus. Forgive us, cleanse us, make us whole. So that we might be able to say with David, Judge me, O God, according to my righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.